that you gave to our friend Jesus. And yet here we are uttering those words, words that we could spend all eternity unpacking, and yet here we are trying to do it in the next 30 minutes. We pray you'll send the Holy Spirit to guide us to bring out the very lessons we need to learn from this prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I think of the Lord's Prayer, for me, it's always connected to a memory. So you can imagine from a, being a young child of just from baby stages all the way up until my early teen years, going to my grandfather's house. After a certain point, I checked out my later teen years. I didn't want to go there much anymore. But in my, up until my early teen years, I would go there. And at my grandfather's house, which this is a picture of, you can, it's not a huge house, but there in that house would be a prayer warrior. Somebody who I knew was praying for me regularly. Somebody who, at the end of the day, if I happened to be at his house, he would gather the whole family together. He'd open up the Bible. And as a young person, I was, for a certain while, I was very open to it. And at the end of his Bible reading, he would have a season of prayer. Sometimes I would think it might have been too long for a child to endure. But anyway, uh, we have to be careful with those things sometimes. There is such thing as children's prayers as well. Ellen White talks about that as well. But anyway, as he was praying, he would get down to the end of his prayer, and then he would go into what we just said out loud. And the whole family would repeat the prayer with him. And some of you might have had a similar custom, and maybe you're familiar with this. We would say the Lord's Prayer out loud, and then at the end, amen. And then we would all say goodnight. We would all go to bed, and that would be the end of the evening. He wouldn't do the Lord's Prayer in the morning. It would just be a scripture reading time with shorter prayer. But in the evening, I remember him always doing this. And now that I know more about education, and especially when I was learning Greek, I know they told us, do your memory work, especially closer to the evening, so somehow your brain works on it throughout the night. I don't know all the science, but I know that they told us that was the case. And something must have been happening with those evening prayers because, for me, there he is praying every night, and I didn't realize it, but those prayers were soaking, that prayer was soaking in to the point where even when I was not a Christian, when I decided I didn't want anything to do with God, I could still say the Lord's Prayer by heart. Now, it's one of those stories of the, the sower sowing the seed. You know, it didn't look like it was much for a while there. But I remember when I did decide to become a Christian, a particular instance where there I was with a gang member I was a pretty rough fellow, and he was pretty rough at times, but we had both become Christians, and we were, we were studying with each other, and we came to the conclusion of, we don't really know how to pray. And I said, well, I've got a prayer I can pray. And so every night, he, I didn't know how to study very well, so he said somebody taught him to read one chapter out of Proverbs every day, so he was doing that, and we would do that. And then he would say, well, let's, let's, let's have you pray the Lord's Prayer, because you said you know it. And so I pray the Lord's Prayer, and then we would have silence for about two or three minutes where we would pray for each other in our heads because we didn't know how to pray out loud very well. That's how formative that prayer was to me, that it became a tool that God would use down through time to keep touching other people and to keep touching me, especially when I needed it most. So when I say the Lord's Prayer, all of those types of memories come back. And as I've gotten older, I begin to unpack it more and more and become to realize that there is a reason why the Lord's Prayer is so powerful. Any guesses? I heard something about Jesus over here. It's his prayer. And who's Jesus? 
the creator of heavens and earth. He's the creator of our new hearts. He's the one who told us this is how you should pray. And so the very words of the Lord's Prayer are creative and are powerful and have an echo effect for eternity that can echo even in somebody's mind who doesn't want anything to do with him for a season. That's how powerful the Lord's Prayer is. And I wish I could tell you that in the next 30 minutes or so, I could unpack the whole thing in its full meaning. I think it could take a whole year of sermons to really, and even eternity to unpack every single aspect of how the Lord's Prayer relates to us and relates to the plan of salvation. There's a whole lot packed into this prayer. So I'm going to attempt to do really the impossible. I'm going to attempt to show how it has something to do with our daily connection with Jesus. We talked about how we need to be led by the Spirit daily, throughout the day, that still small voice, be led by the Spirit to focus on heaven. We also talked about the Spirit of the Lord is upon me last week, and that Spirit will lead us to study and have this communion with heaven. Whereas there's all these other sources out there, we will have this time with God. And today we're going to look at this concept of prayer as it relates to the Lord's Prayer. And in the coming weeks, we'll unpack the rest of these other bullets as well. But the Lord's Prayer. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. He's very specific. He's, he's saying there are other manners of prayer, are there not? If we read through Matthew chapter 6 especially, he talks about this idea of some repeat repetitive prayers, and that's not good. Some, and he talks about this idea of some pray, but they really aren't trusting the Father. So the whole context of this statement is there are other ways to pray. It's not saying that. In fact, even there are other good Christian ways to pray, so you don't necessarily have to necessarily pray the Lord's Prayer format every time you utter a prayer to heaven. It's like a conversation. But he's saying, here is a manner to pray. You want me to teach you to pray as rabbis teach their students to pray? Well, here's the manner I'm teaching you. It's a connection with the Father. Which means it could change as far as, you know, you could be connecting with the Father and you might only go be going throughout the day and pray part of this prayer because you're dealing with something. Lord, I need your will to be done here. You know, so let's, let's look at it carefully. It says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we read through this. It's going to progress to the point where it will show you and me how intimate this prayer life can be. If you notice, it starts off, you're praising God. But as you look down through it, it gets into some real intimate details of a faith relationship with the Father. The kind in which you would really have to trust Him as a Father to pray. And we'll see that in a few moments. Especially when you get down to lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. When you're going through some trials and all of that, to trust Him then means there has been trust in these other areas as well. So I'm going to look at it carefully with you. It says, Our Father which art in heaven. That was an interesting phrase for me because as I traced that concept of the Father through Matthew 5 and Matthew 6, came up with some interesting statements about the Father. If you read in Matthew 5.34, this is the Father who has a throne, who sits on the throne. This is the Father who can, who can enable you to forgive your enemies so that you can be a child of the Father. He talks about if you forgive your enemies, this idea of you are now his child. Something about the ability to forgive others shows us that we are his children. And you go down to Matthew chapter 6, it says the Father rewards those, rewards you for giving, and it's talking about material wealth, and you're giving that because, not because you have to give, but because, not because of human recognition, 
but because you have the same giving heart that the Father has. Didn't, isn't John 3.16 pretty clear? God so loved the world, that's the Father, that He gave His only begotten Son. So when we look at Matthew chapter 6, the whole thing is about the Father. Go on down, it says, Pray to your Father in secret who will reward you in openly. So in order to have and to see the beautiful blessings of God openly, when we see those things, that, preclude, that does not preclude the idea that somehow does not limit the idea that, that there's, a lot, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. There's a lot going on behind the scenes in secret that we eventually see the results of and we praise God for it. I mean, you talk about the Roof and Solar Fund being you know, basically paid down in less than a year. Uh, that's because there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes in giving hearts, your giving hearts, my giving heart, that said, you know what, Lord, this is something I want to support. This is something you put on my heart to give to. The same thing goes with different ministries in our church as well. And so we look at this idea, yes, we're doing something in secret that then allows something to happen openly, but we're not doing it so we can be recognized openly. Verses 7 and 8, the Father knows your needs already before you even ask. And it says, that's why you don't offer these repetitive, long prayers. I mean, if my little boy comes to me and says, Daddy, I'm hungry. I'm tired. You know, so there are all these little, these little things that children say to their dad or their mom. If a child comes to you and says something like that, you're going you're gonna to basically ask them to beg you for a while, Right? Come on, you've you got to make a list of all the needs you have, and I need it written in doctoral dissertation style, right? And I need it all down to the beautiful grammar of the English language as we know it. And no, we're not going to do that. We're going to have a simple child's prayer. is short. It is to the point. And it's, it, unless it's nagging, it's usually not repetitive if the need is being met. So we're, he talks about this idea of the father knows your needs. You don't need to keep on him like like that trust him now there are some times where persevering prayer is appropriate jesus does talk about that but we have a father in heaven who is not trying to withhold answers to prayer he's actually waiting for invitations to work in human human history so he is waiting to answer prayer it may not be the prayer exactly the way you prayed it though it may be something that he knew he knew that in time you might actually for instance, with Emmanuel, I didn't realize it years ago when I was saying, oh Lord, maybe someday we could interact again. I didn't realize it'd be this week, but it was this week. And some of you have gone through some stuff recently where you were praying for something specifically and it happened in a timing that was perfect. There's no other explanation than a loving father timed it that way. So this is the kind of prayer that he's talking about. We have a father in heaven. And there are some hindrances that get in the way of our prayer. If you look at Matthew 6, 14 to 15, he t Jesus talks about how unforgiveness can get in the way of the Father really working powerfully in your life. I've known people who hold a grudge based on how somebody looked at them years ago. And they've held that grudge for 50, 60 years. As a pastor, I meet all kinds of things like this. And I'm thinking... I sure hope I never get to the point where that happens to me, where I just take something so personally like that, and it begins to eat away at me so that every time I see the person, I just, I boil inside. And I can't wait to tell everybody else the bad about that person. 
See, that will get in the way of your relationship with the Father after a while because after a while then you're seeing everybody that way and eventually you project it onto your Father as well. And more than likely the reason why you feel that way is because the way somebody, this person I was thinking about feels this way is because they have a picture of the Father that's not good. So Jesus talks about unforgiveness, how it can literally eat away at you and prevent the Father from forgiving you. So that means the Father's waiting around waiting to not forgive you, right? No, it's, it's something starts happening where you will not even receive the Father's forgiveness. That's a long road, you would think. But for some people, it happens real fast. There's this critical spirit that just eats them alive to the point where they can't receive the Father's forgiveness because they really don't see it anymore. All they see is critical elements. So Jesus talks about that, and that can get in the way. He also talks about how some people fast openly to let everybody know that they're fasting for, for the Father, right? Fasting for heaven. But Jesus points out that can breed pride. Look at me. You know? I'm fasting. You go on down. He talks about in chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, that the Father should be our focus. That our treasures of this world that the Father has given us are just symptoms of a loving, giving Father who makes the rain fall upon the just and the unjust, and He has given those things to us, so our focus should be, Lord, what can I do with these things to glorify heaven? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where your heart is. So your heart is on the Father. You're connected with Him. And so therefore, things that He gives you can then be used for His glory. If you go down there to verses 22 to 24, and this is all about this, this Father in heaven. And I'm focusing on the Father because I'll tell you in a moment why. Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 to 24 mentions our focus needs to be on the Father. We need to have this singleness of heart, not be divided in our focus, but focus should be on the Father. In verses 25 through 34, Jesus makes it clear, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And who is it talking about? The whole chapter, as you look down, is talking about the Father. Whose righteousness are we seeking? The Father's righteousness. That's why Jesus says, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Later on, we find this is our goal, to be like the Father. And in case you think you've got to have a a huge measuring rod that's perfect. It reaches all the way up to heaven that you'll never reach. That's not what we're talking about. It's actually talking about, in the Greek, telos, this idea of reaching the mark, being mature, growing up to be more and more like the Father. Which, after you would think then, would result in the behavior and it would result in the actions that are like the Father. I was looking at a picture this week and... It was my grandfather, and somebody, who I won't name who she is, but she's back there with my kids, said that I look just like him somehow. That's where you get those looks. Now, that's a generation, you know, grandfather, then father, and down. So there is a little bit of a, a separation there in, in genetics, but, but there was this resemblance, uncanny in some spots. The eyebrows are big like his. The nose is big like his. I mean, it's just like, I thought all that stuff was my German heritage, but here it is, some English side of the family too. So here I have this resemblance to my grandfather. And there are some times that I even do things that I remember him doing. 
partly because he was my main father figure in my early days. So what does this imply? This implies if you stay focused on the Father, you become more and more like Him. People notice that. And He's the one who's going to reward you. His reward is what you seek, nothing else of this world. Yes, it's nice to have people encourage you and thank you and all of that, but it's the Father who you really want to thank, have thank you at the end of the day. Son, daughter. Wow, I'm so proud of you. Not in a sense of, pride, but in a sense of, you're my child. You, you did the right thing. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so the Father in heaven, as I read these phrases, our Father which art in heaven, holy be your name, I'm thinking of, yes, he's a holy, beautiful God, but also he's a Father that wants to spend time with me. And why is that important? Well, if we look back in our relationships with our earthly fathers, sometimes it wasn't ideal. And I'll be the first to admit it. My, my dad was a pre-Christian. I was a pre-Christian. My mom was pre-Christian at the time. We've, and, she, and some of my family still are. And I still remember, and here's the gate area. To, there was no gate and fence here at the time, but there was cattle fencing along here. And we would go in here, drive in here. This is Looking Glass, Oregon. Over here is a cherry tree. And I still remember, here's the front of the house. If you go back to the picture, I'm looking way over here yonder in the field area right back here. And here's that field. There's a well over there still. And as I remember as a child, there was one thing that I really wanted. Now I was playing soccer and I was playing t-ball and things like that, eventually Little League. And there was one thing that I really wanted. And you can probably guess what it was. I really wanted to have some practice time with my dad or just somehow that it would spill over to we would spend some time together. And I still remember the one time, and I only remember it happening one time, that here in this very yard, we used the fence as a goalpost, and I was a goalie, and my, I had my dad there, and he actually was willing to spend half an hour or so with me, kicking goals at me. And some of them I stopped in my little kid way, and some of them I didn't, but at the end of the day, I'm picking up, the, at the end of that little session, I'm picking up the ball, and I'm going over to my dad, and there wasn't much of a hug. It was just kind of like, oh, that was nice. And that was it. And what does a little child want? Well, I still don't get a very good hug from my dad. He's like a stiff board. And here I am, this big, happy daddy with my kids. Uh, you know, and I'm giving him this hug, and he's uh, bending over backwards. What I wanted was time with my father. And when things get chaotic in life, and the father becomes absent, who steps in? Who, who is there all along anyway? the unspoken Heavenly Father. We think of Jesus, we think of the Holy Spirit, the still small voice, but who's arranging all of that? Who's arranging all of these things? Who's the one who sent his only son to die for us? Who then says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you? That's the Father. It's all orchestrated by the Father. And I think if we would take time to go back through our lives and journal down the areas where we said, God, where were you in that mess? And we would be still enough to wait and maybe take our Bibles out and look up some beautiful texts along with it. We would see, we would see that the Father was there all along. Why do I say that? Well, because here I am in my 30s, a lot of love pouring out of my heart at times. But deep down, there's still that little bit of pain from the childhood that's there. And if you're honest with yourself, there's something still there. 
You've been forgiven, you've been saved by grace, but there could still be something that the Lord is using the leaves for the healing of the nations on in your life and mine. If he still has to use it in the earth made new, if he still has to wipe away every tear, we're talking about the thousand years, then surely we're not arriving yet. We're still at times even hurt. And maybe you had the perfect family upbringing. I would say great, but I have very, met very few people who've had the perfect family upbringing. There's usually, there's usually somebody who's in the family who's hurt you or, or somebody growing up, maybe not, even not in your family, who's hurt you, and there's something in your past that you have to say, Father, where were you at in that? And if you take the time, he will show you where he was at in that, that he had arranged things, that you would actually learn through that, and really, as I've looked back, I've seen how he protected me, because in this very place, that was the place where my dad would come home drunk and would beat the, out of my mother. He would literally beat her down. And so yet, here's this loving father that I want to see, and yet I'm seeing all of this. Where are you at, God? I've wrestled with that, and I thought I was done with it when I first accepted Jesus. But I've realized that there are residual effects that you have to keep wrestling with the rest of your life. Some of you it may have been going on for a long time now. But I have come to grips with the fact that my heavenly Father was there. And so we begin our prayer, our study time, at least I do, with praising my heavenly Father. He is holy. He is just. Uh, this idea of doxa, praise, he has something worthy of me telling him about. Not that I need to wake up every morning and say, yeah, God, you've provided the rain. That was nice. It, it's more than that. And I found myself getting repetitive even in praising him sometimes. I was praising him for th some things in the same way I'd done before. I'm like, Lord, what I'm trying to say is, and I'll put it down on paper, but I begin my Bible study time and my prayer time with praising God. And this is an interesting quotation. I was reading Christ's Object Lessons. If we keep the Lord ever before us, allowing our hearts to go out in thanksgiving and praise to him, we shall have a continual freshness in our religious life. So our hearts keep going out praising Him. We're praising God. Our prayers will take the form of a conversation with God as we would talk with a friend. And what is that like? There's some give and take. Most friends I have, even on Facebook, where you're, you're hundreds of thousands of miles away, you're, you're going back and forth. You're instant messaging them, and they're sending you back. You're on the phone. It's going back and forth. You're texting somebody. And some of you text me way so fast that I, and my little ancient phone, I can't get back to you before you send me another piece of dialogue and I'm still responding to the first one. But, but we have these ways of dialoguing with each other. And we're human beings. What you're saying is, with God, it becomes a conversation. Back and forth with God. That takes time. And there's some times where it's best to get a quiet place to do that. Jesus went away for a while and did that. I was reading that this morning, how he would go to the mountainside and he would spend that time with the Father. How he would, he would actually allow his disciples, go on ahead of me, and he went up to the mountainside and watched the storm bring down below, and here he is communing with his Father. Why? Because he's going to walk on water. He's going to invite Peter to come to him. He knows he needs that connection with heaven. And he knows as we would read it years later, we could see the same source if we would look for it. So he has that, that beautiful relationship with the Father. We can have the same thing. He will speak his mysteries to us personally. You won't need 
necessarily more and more sermons to listen to. You, you'll, you'll, it gets to the point where you're with the Lord, and yes, sermons and teachings and all of that are nice, but it's almost like the manna, right? You know, you, you, you're daily with him, and then Sabbath is a double portion. You know, you got this double portion type experience, but you're still connected with him on your own, even on Sabbath. It's just we are together corporately as well. Often, as a result, there will come to us a sweet, joyful sense of the presence of Jesus. That's happened here with some songs that we've sung. When shall I see my Father's face? That beautiful song about going to the promised land. Every time we sing it here, the sweet, joyful sense comes over me. It's not like anything this world can offer. And I'm not saying it's based on feeling only, but there is something about the presence of God that brings that, that abiding peace, that sense that He could overwhelm you. That's what she's talking about. Often our hearts will burn within us as He draws nigh to commune with us as He did with Enoch. When this is in truth the experience of the Christian, there is seen in his life a simplicity, a humility, meekness and lowliness of heart that show to all with whom he associates that he has been with Jesus and learned of him. I haven't arrived all there yet. I know I'm not the meekest person in the world sometimes, so there are some issues there still. But I do know that he's changing me to be more and more like this so I don't get discouraged. And so the Lord's Prayer begins with, Our Father which art in heaven, holy be your name. Praise be to you. You're so wonderful to me. Look at, look at all the good things the goodness, your very goodness to me to bring me to this point. So that's the loving Father part. You get on down, Jesus says you're to pray to the Father and say, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's the will of the Father. He's talking about how the will of the Father can be accomplished. And when we're uttering that prayer, what are we saying? Father, work it out in this world. Even through me. Even through me. And so we're led by the Spirit to know the Word of God daily. We're spending that time with Him. We're spending that time praising Him. But eventually what happens is our actions begin to change because our heart has changed. That's not something you can generate of yourself. I remember when I first became a Christian, it was so simple. It was, there I was, 17. I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. I want to I talk about Him. I want to spend time with Him. I want to tell others about Him. I just want to share Him everywhere. And then came a, a yardstick Christian, this huge yardstick there that somehow I had to attain all these other sections there. And it started taking away my joy. And I said, wasn't it so simple? Am I less of a Christian because I don't have a list every day I get up and wake up to? But I wake up to his presence and say, God, can you guide my day? Can you take my plans and, and, and adjust them according to your will? That was how simple my faith was. And yet here was this whole list of exactly how I should do it. Somebody gave me one time and I was like, Ah, is that, why does that have to be so complicated? Well, it's not. If God's changing the heart, then eventually your actions and your motives and the very things that you thought you would never want to do, you'll do. Uh, this week, I asked the Lord, because I had some experiences that bothered me. I said, I want you to show me, if you'd like to, what my life would have been like if it had gone, kept going a certain, gener certain direction. And I don't do that very often. In fact, I have never done that before that time. And he showed me exactly what my life was 
and how if it had continued, what it would have looked like now. It's a very dismal picture. I was influencing my children in that dream to be worse than I was when I was getting ready to do away with people in my life when I was 17. It was a terrible dream. And I thought to myself, if my heart had not changed, if God had not gotten a hold of me and changed my thoughts and my motives and my actions, that's where I'd be today. And so although there may be a tainted, corrupted atmosphere around us, we need not breathe in its miasma, but may live in the pure air of heaven. She talks about this beautiful atmosphere of grace. We can live and breathe in it. We may close every door to impure imaginings and unholy thoughts by lifting the soul into the presence of God through sincere prayer. Those whose hearts are open to receive the support and blessing of God will walk, will walk. It's not, there's no option. It's going to happen in a holier atmosphere than that of earth and will have constant communion with heaven. And if that's constant, then you're constantly being changed. And so am I. So the will of the Father says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a lot of ways we can apply that, but I'm applying it to myself and saying, God, change me so then you can work through me to change others. And then it goes on, give us this day our daily bread. How do I have that? Well, we just read about it. It's this constant communion with God, but Jesus is specific. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, if you are familiar with the Old Testament, you know that that can harken back to some obvious places, like the manna for one. Give us this day our daily bread. Who's the manna? John chapter 6 tells you, basically, it's Jesus who's the manna. I'm the bread from heaven. I'm the one who sustains you daily. So this is where that Deuteronomy text comes in. He humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. So you went through some hardship. But he fed you with manna, which thou knewest not. You didn't know anything about it. Neither did thy fathers know it that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. We can be as hungry physically as we want, and we can, we, can, we can focus on that part, how God's provided for us, but this is literally telling us who sustains us. It's that Father in heaven. Sends us that daily bread, sent Jesus right to us, gave us the very words of Jesus so we could read them. I mean, this is such a treasure. Now, if the Lord will let me, I'll translate one of these, you know, transfer it up to me with the earth and the heaven, and I'll keep it on my shelf, and the earth made new. It's just as a reminder that his words were sustaining me all along the way. Give me that old beat-up Andrew study Bible as a token from this world, but no, maybe he'll give me a new one instead. But this whole idea of him daily sustaining us, the words of Jesus specifically sustaining me, is very important. And the reason why is because if I don't somehow value the words of Jesus, value his example, his connection with heaven, his time spent with if I don't value that, then I, I, as I read this text in Deuteronomy this week in my devotions, the thought came to me, Murray, then you could be, end up desiring the quail rather than the manna. Egypt had all those, those beautifully spiced foods and fish and all of that. And that's what the world offers you. And it, it looks good for a season, but, but God is now feeding you bread from heaven and you want something else. I could get to the point where I don't have an appetite for the word of God because 
I have an appetite for so many other things. That's a danger. Especially in this media-driven age where it's right at our fingertips. So that if, if someone told me to read a chapter out of the Bible, it would seem like, man, that's coarse cardboard food. But it's not. It's sweet as honey. Its depths are so deep that we could never even touch it with the most beautifully spiced Indian food that leaves your souls feeling so warm after you leave that restaurant. The Word of God leaves my soul feeling warmer than that. And it takes time to digest this Word of God. It takes time to reflect on it. And we must, each one of us, develop an intentional way that works for us to reflect on the Word of God daily. Otherwise, I don't think we'll ever come like Jesus did because in Matthew chapter 4, he used this very thought. He knew that he was at his weakest moment physically and there he was strong spiritually. And he quotes the scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He tells the devil that and says, yes, I look weak. Yes, I look down. Yes, it looks like I'm in a dismal state of mind and I'm beaten down, but I have a source, a strength beyond anything you could ever access. And it's the word of God. His connection with a heavenly morsel that allowed him to overcome all the temptations in the wilderness. Because if you notice, it is written, it is written, it is written. And even when he's tempted to look at all the kingdoms of the world and imagine being Jesus and wanting to save everybody. Seeing us sitting down here in the 21st century and seeing us with all of our gadgets and saying, Let's, uh, I'll give you them too. Imagine Satan showing him all the beautiful kingdoms of the world then, and maybe even, we don't know for sure, but showing him things in the future. Don't you want to save them all, Jesus? And what does he answer him with? It is written. I have a source that's telling me that not to do that. That is not the way to save the world. And so to not enjoy reflecting on the life of Jesus is to ask God for quail instead of manna. And if I step on a toe or two here, then then maybe it needs to be stepped on or broken. But it's this. I enjoy Bible prophecy. I will say it over and over again. But the only reason why I enjoy it is not because of the facts but because of the faith it brings me in connecting with Jesus. I see how there's these, all these things in the world going on. I see them. I get all the conspiracy theories. I sit in the classes with the teachers of conspiracy theories, and I, and I despise some of those things, and I confront some of those things, and I raise my hand against those things, and I know all about those things, but I am not spending my time there. That's like inviting yourself to go to the wilderness over and over again when you're not even ready. So, you should know about things that are going on around you, but not be a major in those minors. Otherwise, the Word of God will lose its flavor, and it will take startling facts to stir you in a relationship with God. And after a while, I will venture to say, it won't be the Father that I know that you're worshiping. That's, uh, that's just a, a conviction that came to me as I read Deuteronomy this week. And so the man is available to me daily until I enter the promised land. That's what happened in Joshua, right? They had this manna, and it says in Joshua 5, it was there all the way till the day that they entered the promised land, and the Sabbath then would be a double portion. That's why we come together every week, is to encourage each other. To, as we've been fed Jesus throughout the week, we then share with that encouragement with each other, and then we go out and share it together with those around us. And so I know that I need to be continually strengthened to do His will. And out of that daily focus, my actions will result. So then we go on down to verse 12. And if you noticed, I put it up on the screen, 
Notice how it has this idea of connecting with the Father, inviting Him to work, gaining strength for daily issues, yes. But notice this. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That is to be supernaturally empowered. You notice how the text gets more concentrated as you go, as you go down? It's kind of like the law of the in-stress, or if you look at it carefully, there's a structure in this whole thing. And how is it then that we are going to overcome? If you look at the central verse in the text, it's this part right here that's the, the crucial point right there that will enable us to do all of this down here. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That means you've got to be like Jesus because he's the one who said, Father, whoa, whoa, Father, forgive them. What they were doing to Jesus was actually against the Father. The cross wasn't just about Jesus dying for us. It was, that was there, yes. That was an atonement being made. But it was also a strike against the Father. It was a striking out against the Father. You read Jesus' parables where you find the Father sends his own son to the vineyard keepers, and what do they do? They beat and kill the son because they say, now we'll take over. And it's a shame against the Father. And that's what happens at the cross. Jesus is crying out, Father, forgive them, because can you imagine the hurt of the Father? How he has prepared history all the way up to that point where they could clearly see the Messiah. They've got the scrolls in their hands. They've got the magi. You've got the shepherds. You've got the beautiful star. You've got all the prophecies, all of these things pointing, look, 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 and they are rejecting, rejecting, rejecting. Rejecting not just scriptures, but the one who inspired them and gave them to them. So it implies that Jesus on the cross, even in times of huge distress, was able to let go and say, Father, this is yours. You know, forgive them, Father. And later he says, into your hands I commit. And what does it mean to forgive? It's a pretty easy word to memorize in the Greek language. A fee, Amy. A fee has been paid for me. That's how I memorized it. And when I was doing my vocabulary in the evening, right before I go to bed, I'm like, how do I memorize that one? A fee has been paid for me so I can be let go. I can leave. I can be permitted to walk away free. That's how I memorized it. And that's the same idea. It's linked to the concept that a debt has been paid. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so sometimes it's hard to let go of something. Not because we wouldn't let go of it if we really saw it, but sometimes we don't see something that's got a hold of us. That's what I'm saying. Looking back and seeing how the Father has led you may lead you to let go of some things and forgive so you can live now for Him. And so for me, it takes this daily relationship. This is why in the Gospel Workers it says we have the eye of faith and we will discern God very near and the suppliant may obtain precious evidence of divine love and care for Him because we have opened up our heart to God as a friend. We will then be able to see others as potential friends of Jesus. And even if they're not, act, not acting like it, we can forgive them. We can say, Lord, I'm asking you to guide in this situation. Not, hey, um, I'll just put an example out there. Hey, Mike, uh, I'm, I, I saw so-and-so doing such and such. Let's ask God to forgive them. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. That's gossip. But we're saying, God, they may be coming at me for reasons I don't even know about. I don't even see everything. Lord, please, Take control of this. And if they're doing something to dishonor and hurt you, then please forgive them. That is because Jesus is in the heart that we can even utter the prayer of Jesus means he has to be in the heart to 
utter that prayer. And so then the Lord's Prayer continues to progress. If you notice, it goes down, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I remember as a child thinking, does the Lord lead us into temptation? Whoa, you know. No, I knew that because in James it talks about he cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. I, I, I recognized that other places my grandfather had read talked about how God doesn't tempt you. So this puzzled me for years. And forgive me, but even this very week, I'm still trying to unpack it. Because there, there, there's different ways you can study it with word studies and all of this. And I'm kind of putting it together. And so if you've got a better version, then great. I'm just, this is where I'm at with this. It's implied that God has such control over the tempter as to save us from his power if we call upon him. Lead us not into temptation. In other words, it's not wrong to pray that we may be saved from suffering if it will be the will of God. Lord, help me through this. Don't leave me alone in the temptation. And I was confirmed as I was looking down at the youth instructor pamphlet. It said, there are times when it is necessary for men to be exposed to dangers and be placed amid corrupting influences, but a sense of their dependence on God will lead them to keep their hearts uplifted in prayer. They'll say, Lord, I'm in this. I, I don't really want to be here. I, I know you've called me into this to talk to this person or to be in this situation or to be in this work environment, whatever, uh, to be in this family environment for some of us, and I need you. I need you to control my heart. And you cry out that prayer in that situation there. It's not that he's leading you into temptation. He's leading you through the temptation. That's kind of where I'm at. He delivers us from evil. And so, as we notice the progression once again, we have a connection. We invite him to work. We ask him for strength. We become more like him because we're trusting him. I don't know about you, but to forgive someone who's been in debt against me, I have to say, Lord, I trust that you've forgiven me. I'm forgiving them. And then it goes down here and it shows you complete trust, which is yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. It has this idea of even in temptations, I'm going to trust him and I'm going to praise him. I'm going to praise him whether it goes well or whether it does not. That takes complete trust. You see how it's kind of building. I was reading through this. Wow, Lord, this seems like it's building all the way to the law of end stress like the rabbis would teach. It's a beautiful prayer. Wow. I'm going to have to completely trust you to get to be like that. And I'm going to need all these other elements to really get to the point where I'm like that every day. And so yours is the kingdom means the Father is working for the salvation of each person just as much as Jesus and the Holy Spirit are. He wants all of us to be part of his kingdom. He wants us all to be there in the new earth. We want to, he wants to see lives change. And ultimately, when lives are changed, the temptation is, wow, look what God did through me. No, look what God did. Look what God did. Praise God for what he did. And so Lord's Prayer is a timeless prayer because it was uttered by the mouth of Jesus. And not only that, it was lived by Jesus. It's a timeless prayer because it was uttered by the creative mouth of Jesus, the one who spoke things but it's also a timeless prayer because he lived it in human flesh. Which means I can do the same. And so can you. And as I look at the closing scenes of Jesus' ministry, and this is where we're going to probably end up this, this morning, I notice the, all of the elements of the Lord's Prayer. And maybe you could research it and find other places in those closing scenes. But I notice 
elements, maybe not in the same order as the Lord's Prayer, but I notice them there. For instance, in Gethsemane, he's praying to the Father, Father. You know, he talks about the Father and his will, and eventually he says, your will be done. Isn't that right out of the Lord's Prayer? And then you get over to the Last Supper, and he talks about this bread is my body. And he's telling them to, to, to partake of this, that basically he's the manna. He's the daily bread that they need. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He cries out, Father, forgive them. He's praying the prayer of forgiveness. Deliver us from evil. This one is very clear at the cross because their evil was surrounding and crucifying the Creator Himself. And the Father shields Him. He is right there as Jesus trusts Him. Shielding Him and bringing Him through. That's something a father would do. A loving father, anyway. Thine is the kingdom. That is very clear in the text as well because you've got a thief over there dying and the thief says, remember me when you come into your kingdom, right? And as you look, Jesus says, I'm telling you today when things don't look like much today, when I, here I am being crucified. He didn't say all of that, but you can see it in the text very clearly. Especially in the Greek that he's saying, I'm telling you something when it doesn't, today when it doesn't look like much. You're going to be with me. Paradise. Giving him that promise with strangled almost breath about the kingdom. And then at the end, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. He says, into your hands I commit my breath, my all, my life. That is total commitment. So I see the Lord's Prayer leading up to and going through the cross, and there he is trusting the Father in his darkest time. And so our Father in heaven, that's our sermon title, means total trust in the Father, in Him. That's what I see happening at the cross. And as I was going through this week, somebody posted a picture on Facebook, and it disturbed me. And I'll tell you why. You won't find me in that picture, for one. But you'll find a lot of classmates from a particular episode of my life where I had moved. What had happened was I was living in a country area where it was mostly rural. We were cattle ranchers and there was a dairy there. There was, you know, agrarian lifestyle. I moved into town and all, everything broke loose once we got in there. My dad got access to alcohol all the time. It was just chaos. And I got this picture this week. I saw it. And I saw people in there that I went to school with out there at that elementary school. These girls here and some of these guys over here. And I, I said to myself, I, don't, I didn't remember them even being at the same school as me as we, after we transferred to this other school right here. Where were they in my darkest times? I kind of felt like, Lord, here they were. They were my friends before. Now we get here and they weren't my friends. And I really needed friends at that time. God, what was going on? And it was at that time that he said something. And I wrote it down in my journal. He said, I'm not just in heaven, Murray. I rule from heaven and guide the providences of life so that you will be the person I want you to be. Can you think of other people really, could they really have comforted me during my mom and dad's divorce that was going on or, or the counseling sessions that went on before that? Or if my grandfather himself could not make the situation right, humanly speaking, then really it came down to only the father could have worked that out. And that's when I asked him. I said, all right, I'm becoming the person you want me to be. I want you to show me. What would have happened if we never would have moved and I would have stayed out there in school with some of these kids out there and he, he told me specifically, your father would have killed your mother. And then he would have gone to prison 
And then you would have been at your grandparents' house, but it would not have been a peaceful feeling like you had it as a result of still being with your mother. You would have gone over there. People would have picked on you on the streets, and, picked, and you would have felt unsafe there as well. He showed me the, he told me the whole thing, and he said, trust that I worked it all out. And now look at it. Your mom is still alive. Your dad's a Christian. Your brother's a Christian. Your family, several of them become Christians. Do you trust me with that episode of your life? And I had to say yes. You're so good. If I had arranged it differently, I would never would have been that way. But that's the love of the Father in heaven. And that's why I can pray, my Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so our closing song is about that. How it wasn't just at the cross, but beyond that, because it still happens today, we find Jesus himself talking about how there was this gardener. They thought he was a gardener. He was risen. He, he gives the Holy Spirit. He says that those of us today are supposed to receive this as well, this very prayer, because he says, more blessed are those who believe yet have not seen. And that's us. We're still reading it. And so I know some of us want to see Jesus face to face now, but I, I want to keep this this not by sight going until I see him face to face. Because I know that I don't want to have my experience based just on seeing. I want to have it based upon the word of God that helps me trust him every day. And so I spend that time every day and I imagine, Lord, here I am getting ready to face the day again. Father, can you guide me? And that's where the words of the song are beautifully written. It says, he bids me go through the voice of woe. I would stay there forever with him. I know I'd be a hermit. I'd be you know, somehow out somewhere in the forest with my Bible and all of that. That's where I'd be. But he's given me a mission and given you a mission as well. And he says, no, he bids me go through the voice of woe. His voice to me is calling. So I've chose this closing song not because of personal devotions, but because I'm saying, Father, keep speaking to me daily. I'm going to invite to our accompaniment to come up and to begin playing this. And if you'd like to sing it, it'll be up on the screen. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. Jesus has come and revealed so much to us about the Father. Let us come every day to the Father's throne. If you'd like to stand, feel free and we'll sing this song together.
and the sound of his voice is so sweet the birds hush their singing and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known I'd stay in the garden with him though the night around me be falling but he bids me go through the voice of woe his voice to me is calling and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known Our Father, which art in heaven hallowed be thy name Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, O glory, forever. Amen.